You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to give thanks for this beautiful day. And I'd like to call in the helping spirits to be with us here today that we might do something useful. So I call out to the ancestors to come and stand around us here today. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into my line and into yours. I call out to those who carry that legacy that will help us to go beyond those who came before us. It is on their shoulders that we stand, but it is our job to heal, to innovate, to create, to forgive, and to go forward in different ways. So I call out to those ancestors to guide us here today. To help us to understand why the earth wisdoms are rising now, how to engage with them as contemporary people, and how to use them in a good way. So we call out to those people who lived on the earth with each other, with all other living things in a good way to guide us as we continue here today. So we call out to that great and most essential ancestor most ancient for those of us here in physical form, the earth. We call out to the earth and ask for that energy of restoration and rejuvenation and replenishment to rise up, to rise up into our feet and into our body and into our bellies and to bring to us the energy of the earth and all of the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form. And I call out to the earth to help us to remember to be grounded to help us to know our connection, not only within ourselves, but to others and to all other living things, those that are not human. We call out to the earth to give thanks for that interconnectedness that allows us each to know the oneness and our place in that, that brings us into right relationship with ourself, with others, with our environment and with the spirit world. We give thanks to the earth for all of this wisdom. And with our feet firmly planted in the earth and our ancestors gathered around us, let us rise up through our body, through all the layers of the sky and out into the cosmos to the highest power of the universe up there in the sky. And by whatever name you call that power, call it down. Draw it into yourself, into our circle here today, into your life. Bring in the energy of blessing and protection. Bring in the energy of generosity and benevolence. Bring in the inspiration. Bring in that feeling of the mentors that are there to guide you and the champions that are there to help carry just a bit that you might find the path of your heart's true journey. So we call out for these energies above and we draw them into the body, into the head and the throat and the heart, into the belly. And let the energies of the earth and the sky dance within, bringing us into the Tao, the big love, the big way. And with these energies within us, let us call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today. We call out to that special capacity of the heart to merge the passions of the belly and the clarity of the mind in a way that allows us to come to understand and to remember why we are here. To understand our gifts and the path before us and to have the courage to walk it, even though no one else has gone there before us. So with the heart here, 
the earth below, the sky above, and the ancestors gathered round. May we go forward in a good way. May we hear what needs to be heard and speak what needs to be spoken and do all of this in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give thanks not only for the spirit energies that are supporting us on this show, but special thanks to Karen and Nan and David and Down to Earth and all of the listeners who have donated for this show. This show is free on iTunes at the whyshamanismnow.com website and on the co-creatornetwork.com site. The show's all over the place and it's free. And we ask those of you who are moved by the show, who find some value in the show to allow that to motivate you into action and to do something to support the show. You can go to the whyshamanismnow.com site and donate any amount that you choose to. All of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. You could also share the show with friends. You can do anything you can imagine that would actually support the growth and the, and the sustainability of the show. And so for your willingness to allow yourself to be moved by the heart and to take action in the world based on your heart, we give thanks. And thank you for listening. So today's show is part of our series about teachers, and we're talking about the power of your true nature. We are live today, and you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or you can email me at christina at org. So we're talking about the earth as a teacher and the power of your true nature. In other words, we're talking, well, we're going to talk about what is the true nature, but how nature, the earth and nature and this, this big system here in which we live is a great and ever-present teacher for us. So I want to tell you a little story. Right now, um, on my little block here in Portland, Oregon, we're about three houses in from a fairly busy arterial street um, in, a, in an otherwise residential neighborhood. There's a big you know, grade school over that way and a little coffee shop over that way and lots of houses, lots of yards, just residential living. And um, on the busy street, so three houses over, there were two houses that were condemned. And um, some kids, some young, young folks with a vision, moved into these condemned houses and created a business called Artistry. And the mission um, of this business was art for all ages, which is a great dream. I got no problems with that dream. But like many dreams, it was a purely human dream. There was no um, interaction with energies other than their own and their own dream of art for all ages. And they um, squatted in these condemned houses and eventually somehow got the city to hook up their services and allow them to live there. I'm not quite sure how that part happened. But nonetheless, lots of live music happened in this great big basement of one of these two houses. And then the, this little cooperative lived there on these two houses. Now, the th problem here is that these people, though the vision that they served was a great idea, they really functioned in our little neighborhood here like a cancer. They were terrible neighbors. They didn't care about anybody else. And I mean, through their actions, you could see they didn't care about anybody else. And so my point here is, so we've got a bunch of kids who have a dream and they want to do it better than the elders, you know, more power to them. But you don't have to go, you know, follow the rules of your parents to understand how to be here in a good way. You can just look around you. 
look at the earth, look at the way ecosystems work, and you can understand from the earth, not from your parents, not from your school books, but as an independent, wanting to individuate young person, you can look around at how the earth actually works when it works and see that it works through cooperation. That it works, yes, there's a predator and prey system. Yes, energies are constantly transforming through life and death. And at times that is very harsh. But it all works together as a great big system through a great system of balance and cooperation. So what happened um, with this group is they're in these, they're not taking care of the buildings. They're not taking care of the land the buildings are on. There's no stewardship. Their energy is going purely towards their dream. And so what happens is they begin to actually function kind of like a cancer cell or a cancer tumor in the body of the neighborhood. And there's constant toxicity pouring out into the neighborhood from these events that they have because they're a quote unquote business. Their events can go past 10 o'clock at night. Um, They are you know, are for all ages. So there are underage kids coming, literally standing in my front yard, holding fifths of hard alcohol, pounding it back because they can't go into the event and drink and do drugs. And so they're doing it in our front yards and peeing in our front yards. So, so, and leaving their trash in our front yards doing their drugs in our front yards. And so all the toxic activity around this purely human and somewhat immaturely manifested dream is functioning like a cancer in this otherwise lovely neighborhood. So life goes on. Someone finally decides to sell the land for people that are going to develop it. And those, the business leaves, the artistry people leave and move on in their lives. And the houses get torn down. And on the day, because it only takes about a day to tear down two houses that are already condemned in the first place. On the day those houses got torn down, it is as if you could feel the earth in this enormous sigh of relief of this incredible stagnation that was lifted off this little corner of this block of the earth, right? This, oh, this relief that these houses that have been condemned and were falling apart. And, and I mean, it's Oregon, right? Rainforest, hello, damp, moldy, wet, icky. The yards aren't being taken care of. Everything is just yuck. Okay. So there's this huge release of stagnation that comes up from the earth. This great, you know, the earth is thanking these men and their bulldozers from dragging this stuff out of the earth and offering up this sort of naked, fertile earth to the air and the rain and the water. And finally, this earth gets to be with its brother and sister elements and be in the sunshine in the rare moments that we have it and, and, and be alive again. And it was just, it was amazing to feel because I'm not, you know, I'm just a house away from all of this and it's huge. And now this is, yeah, I don't know, a few weeks later, the guys are still over there with their great big bulldozers and things moving the earth around. They're digging it up here and filling it in there and moving it all around. I don't know what they're doing and from an engineering perspective. But what I'm feeling is, you know, the earth doesn't know what the hell they're doing either. So there's a new dream that's going to be placed on this land. And this is what we do, don't we, as humans? We have dreams. And they're here. They're planted here on the earth. We don't have really anywhere else to put them. I mean, I know some people that are putting their dreams out in space because they work for NASA and stuff like that. But, you know, for most of us, our dreams get planted here 
on earth. So there's another dream going in there. And it's a very interesting, eco-friendly, very eco-groovy dream. It's um, small residential living. So um, small condos starting at $100,000. Very, very small square footage. 29 family units going in where once there were two family dwellings. No garages. No parking. Bike storage. Bike parking. Small communal garden and water catchment on the roofs. So this is a big push that Portland's doing to be a green city. That's not my point in my talk. My point is the dream is fairly earth-friendly in its ideas, right? It's a smaller carbon footprint, hopefully. And so it's not an earth, it's an, it's an earth-aware dream that's going to go in there. But the earth right now, it's getting dug and pushed and poured and made into a mountain and then put into a hole and shoved around. The earth doesn't know what the hell is going on. So here we have yet again a purely human dream being placed on top of the earth instead of planted like a seed. What the developers need to be doing right now, and if they don't want to do it, they should hire a shaman to do it, is to be talking to the spirits of the earth there about their dream. And, and what it is that they want to create and why they want to create it, why they want this new idea for human living to, to be right there on that place and the no cars and the no um, burning of fossil fuels and the efficiency of everything about that. I can't remember all of the specs, but it was very, very eco-friendly, about as friendly as we can get these days. And to talk with the spirits of the land about doing that so that the land is invested in the growth, the, 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 the generation and the growth of that dream. And so here, this is just a normal little slice out of American life, right? Just a weird little thing happening right here in my neighborhood. But the earth, the earth out of which all things comes that allows us to live, even our dreams, is being utterly ignored and left out of this process once again. And so where there is this bright new dream that is at least not cancerous in its inception, that is really trying to connect with its neighbors, with its environment, um, with the, the overall ecological impact of human beings on the earth, is still ignoring the earth. And this is kind of my point today is that it is so easy for us to move around in our heads, in our ideas, in our heads, but not to take those ideas through to their logical conclusion through our heart and through our actions by working with these, working in co-creation with these energies. And that is the kind of the essence of shamanism. So I've been sitting here in my altar in the morning adding this little part to my normal daily practice of talking to the spirits of the earth over there because they're not really over there. I mean, the spirits of the earth aren't parceled up into 50 by 100 um, foot plots of land just because that's how the neighborhood's divided up. This land is the land. The earth is the earth. And so the confusion there brings confusion to my little plot of land here that I am the steward of, not that I own, but that I am the steward of. And we're in the process of putting in fruit-bearing plants and planting the dream of our practices. And I don't want to lose the energy we're creating here because they're 
not doing their part to talk to the land over there. And so now my conversation extends out um, to include much more of the land here, goes deeper to where all these energies connect and begins to ask for um, forgiveness for the continuing human ignorance and our, our oversight, our trespass, our inability to say, may I please and thank you. It's just not really that complicated, yet we forget all the time. So there's a piece in the cosmology that I teach, that the spirits gave me to teach, that always throws people. And this piece is the teaching that the element of the earth is the elemental energy that teaches us about spirit. So for contemporary people, they always want spirit to be the air, or at least to be the fire. But my understanding from my spirit teachers is that fire is life, that that spark of life, that, that, that fire is from that first spark of life, and that that is the thread that connects all life, and that is that diversity, um, the thread that connects all the diversity, and that the fire is not the spirit, but is the actual manifestation in form of life as we understand it. So for me, the fire is the body. My spirit would be screwed in its efforts to do anything here in this world at this time without my body. This is what gives me life. And so for this teaching that the spirits have given me, fire is the body, is the life. It's the thing that allows things to transform and to happen, right? Because the body's got the hands on it and little prehensile thumbs. It makes things happen. So the air from the teachings from the spirit is clearly the mind and all of the aspects of ourself that change like the wind, right? And so the, the mind and the air are, are the energies. The air teaches us about the workings of the mind and how to work with the mind. Now, water, of course, is emotion, but of course, that's true in almost all cosmologies, interestingly enough. So from the teachings that I've been given by spirit, we are spirit embodied, and the earth teaches us, by example, how to live here in form in a good way. Now, we've talked about many teachers this month. We talked about how the teacher supports us in our mastery along the steady path in our lives, and that it's the trickster teachers who reveal the shortcuts that allow us to get there. And to do things um, to the full and loving expression of our soul's purpose while we're still young enough to enjoy the fruits of those labors, right? So that's – this is what the teacher and then that crazy logic, that trickster energy of the teacher is here to teach us. The earth has that too. And the helping spirits are teachers, whether they're animal spirits or the plant medicines we talked about, whether they're ancestral helping spirits, whether they're the compassionate spirits that come to aid us. Um, that are willing to answer our questions. They're, they're all willing to work with us. But the deeper truth is that they are here to make us better humans. They are teachers. They're not here just to answer our random questions, but they are trying to teach us something larger. We talked about the spirits of weather and the spirits of geography and place, the spirits of the moment even, the spirit of a home. These are all energies that are here to teach us. Life itself is a great teacher. And I've talked about this in many shows. If we can only learn to notice and discern what the messages are, separate from the noise and the distraction of our contemporary life. What does the message mean once we figure out what is the message? 
And then finally, what actions do I take in response to that message? Again, life is the teacher. All of these teachers, abundant and everywhere. Why? Because we're all here together on earth. Earth the being and earth the element is a great teacher. And this is our topic today, earth as a teacher. Now people usually turn out at this point because everyone goes, yeah, 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 I got it, Earth Day, right? Right, perhaps. Perhaps you do get it. And thank you, if you do, for how you choose then to act in the world. But the bottom line is, even people building eco-friendly buildings don't get it, right? The world's great religions have taught us to look up, literally, to look up for answers for how to live here on Earth. And in that upward glance... In that looking outside of ourselves, outside of our lives, outside of our physical existence for answers, we begin to embody what everyone tells us to be, right? In looking only upward, we become inherently ungrounded from nature and from our own true nature. And we begin to shape ourselves in the images that we have been fed. Now, for those of you who think you're off the hook because you're not a religious person, understand, I mean this quite literally. We are orchestrated to look up for answers, to disregard the earth, to throw our now empty Starbucks cup on the ground, in the gutter. Don't even wait to stick it in a garbage can. So we we are trained, religious or not, to look up for the answers and to ignore what is down. And then we begin to take, because we're inherently now ungrounded from nature and our own true nature, we begin to shape ourselves by the images we are fed. And what images are you being fed if you're not being fed them by religion? You're being fed those images by billboards, by advertising, by the media. And those are the shapes you take for who you are to guide you because that's how we operate Now, the problem with this is, is all of these images that we are fed, especially those that are less and less conscious of wanting to support you and more and more conscious of wanting to manipulate you, drive us further and further away from our true nature, which is inherent and innate to each one of us. So even as a child, this whole always looking upward seemed very strange to me. It never really made any sense. I just couldn't get it. It didn't ring true in my body. Why are we looking over there? I would always think clearly the answers of how to be here in physical form are here in physical form all around us, that everything is a manifestation of the divine here. And that's what they were saying, that everything, you know, God made everything. Okay, it's all right here. The divine is expressed right here, everywhere are the expressions of how to manifest and form in a good way around us. So nature does a really great job of expressing a huge diversity of true natures, as long as we, the humans, don't get in the way. way. Like, for the most part, an ecosystem will just continue to move along, supporting um, the the life within it, and eventually evolving, because ecosystems evolve, right? And it all seems to do that pretty well, balancing excesses and scarcities and finding a way to constantly create this sustainable cycle of life. And then we get in the way. So what if we participated, though? What if we were to see ourselves as part of that huge diversity? 
And what if we were to live in a way that expressed our true nature along with all of the other true natures that are being expressed in nature? What if we could live that way? Now, my belief, or at least this is what I see in studying shamanic cultures around, is that this is, this is what they were trying to do, trying to understand how to be part of the system so that all could thrive and how to move in the balance with that system. And that's my sense of the greater wisdom that earth, the earth has to share for us is how do we manifest in form here in a good way. And so the teacher, the teacher archetype itself guides us in particular life processes that set us up to be able to really return to our true nature. Right. And so in the, with the help of the teacher in our life, we're coming, we're coming out of having um, been in the hands basically of the healer. And so we have, um, we have been in an equilibrium that needed to heal, and so we've upset that balance, and we want to establish a new and healthier equilibrium. And so an aspect of what the teacher helps us do is to find a new balance after we've de- destroyed that old equilibrium that was leading to some sort of lack of health or unwellness or disharmony or discomfort. And then another thing the teacher brings us is the energy of wholeness. And now we've come out of the realm of the warrior as well, where we've learned to face our fears and to retrieve ourselves from the shadow, that we might be whole and no longer lodged in the past. And the teacher energy also helps us with trust, so that we begin finally to trust all the teachers around us in life, in nature, in the earth, and our spirit help, within ourselves, all of these energies. And that finally, with all of this, we can begin to learn to live in a way that is passionately committed to the process of our life without attachment to outcome. And it is this attachment to outcome that I think has probably damaged the earth the most. And as you saw from my little story here in the beginning of what's going on at the end of my little block here, how human beings can have really beautiful dreams and then become attached to that outcome and manifest those dreams in the way that they can become cancers to all living things. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the dream. What's wrong is our attachment to that outcome, our belief that we know the one way to do it and our um, lack of willingness to open up to all of the other energies that will be involved in the actual manifestation of that dream and engaging in co-creating that dream. And so this is what we gain then by being willing to work with the teachers in our life is moving to a place of balance and wholeness and trust so that we can learn to live in that passionate way that um, where the passion is not being derived by the attachment or actually obsession not passion, but obsession with that outcome. And so in observing nature, we can be inspired to become aware of our own true nature. And that's where this all is really going. Because if we can't understand our true nature as individuals and as humans, it would be very hard for us to participate in the ecosystem of a bunch of other energies in their true nature. So it's, it's critically important for us as humans to be able to 
release all those things we've been told about who we need to be and how we need to be and allow ourselves to find our way back to that innate um, inner nature. So who would you be if you had been provided with everything you needed to survive as a child? So it's not like you were raised by wolves, right? I mean, you, you were provided all that you needed to survive as a child, but that you were not given code, right? You weren't given programs for who you should be. There were no expectations placed on you because of your biology, no expectations placed on you because of where you grew up or when you grew up or who your family had been. No status, no rank, privilege, power, none of that stuff. Now, we don't grow up that way. And so this, this challenge to assist each human in their life as usually young adults to release all those old expectations gathered about who we should be, to let those go and, and learn to, in essence, surrender to our true nature, to allow that deep innate energy to emerge from within, to basically like um, pulling the condemned house out of the earth so the earth could go, oh, and be freed of the suffocation, is that we... Humans have often sought the teachings that would guide them in pulling off the old house that they were being thought they were being told they needed to be and allowing their sort of raw elemental nature to be exposed and allow themselves to find in that a deeper resonance for who, for their own true nature. And so um, a definition then for true nature, a very precise one from William Horton, um, who is the author of the Toltec I Ching, descri- describes the true nature as the original nature that exists prior to any familial or cultural conditioning. So this true nature existed. You were born with it, and then the conditioning arises. Okay, so what would you be if no one had ever told you anything about what you should be? Just think about that. I mean, there's enormous assumptions made in America, at least, the moment they determine your gender. There's a whole lot of other assumptions made that are probably even more damaging when they can't determine precisely the gender. But anyway, the conditioning begins immediately. In all times, in all cultures, it begins. And so what we're really looking for is not, well, we could certainly diminish that a bit and make it a little more diverse and tolerant, but what we're not really looking for is to remove that entirely because that, I'm not sure that could be done. We're all born into a time. But to make more prevalent, to make more available, to make more um, effective the teachings and the trainings that would allow us to... um, reveal that true nature and to throw off the house, to throw off the condemned house and to find our own true nature. So William's description, as usual, is eloquent and simple, um, but it may not work for everyone. Um, I think about it this way. First off, why is this even an issue? Why does, what does, why is, what does my true nature mean? Why is it even a question? It's a valid question in these times. People ask me all the time, well, what is my true nature? What's a true nature? I don't even get it. What, what's the point? 
So the most important point about what is your true nature and why that's a perfectly valid question for a contemporary person to ask is that it's only an issue for us. What is my true nature is only an issue for humans. And it is an issue for us because we can choose to deny our original nature. Everything around us is spirit made manifest. Everything. This huge pine tree growing outside of my window can, cannot choose to be a different kind of tree. Right? This huge pine tree cannot choose to not be a pine tree. But my neighbor next door can choose to be a very different kind of man. The cedar can grow tall and the ferns will unfurl to about mid-height in the ground because it is their nature, the nature of the cedar to grow tall, the nature of the ferns to unfurl and stay short. But people stunt their growth all the time. Peonies can't choose not to blossom. They may not blossom if there are no ants, but as long as there are ants, the peonies will blossom because it is their nature. The nature of the ants to eat whatever it is they eat that allows the peonies to bloom and the nature of the peonies to blossom. People choose not to blossom all the time. And blossoming is our nature. We choose all the time not to be who we are, not to blossom, not to grow, not to surrender to who we are. I don't know why, but we do. So we can ask what true me, true nature, we can ask what true nature means because we are uniquely able to deny our true nature so thoroughly that we don't even understand the concept much less have a line on what the truth of our own nature is. So let me share a little example about true nature. I'll share my own, since it's kind of hard to talk about someone else's. So my first year out of college, I danced one way or another from the time I was a very small child. Um, and my first year out of college was really the first year I truly didn't dance at all in my whole life from the time I was, I don't know, four or five or something like that. Um, so it was the first year that I did not dance. And I didn't really think about that because I was out of college. I had to go get a job, find a place to live, you know, start living my adult life. It didn't really um, cross my mind that I should still be dancing because I hadn't gone into dance as a profession. I had chosen another path. I wasn't going to be a professional dancer. Why should I keep dancing? There's a whole lot of other activities in, I was living in Northern California, so there's a whole lot of other activities to do. Why should I bother to dance? So I didn't for a year. And in the end of that year, I was in a crushing depression. It wasn't a fruitful depression. It wasn't like the depression that eventually cycled me around and spit me out through a shamanic initiation. This was a stagnating, suffocating, locked in a box kind of depression. And I sat in that depression and wondered what had happened. I mean, it always cycled through depression in my life since I was a young teen, but it was cyclical and fluid and moving. And this was absolutely like being in a black box, 
nothing moved, nothing flowed. It felt different. And so I started just to be practical, look through my life and ask, what wasn't happening? What was different? Why, why was I suddenly in this weird kind of depression that wasn't even my depression? And it was horrible. And I finally realized the only thing that I was not, the only thing different about this year of my life as any other year of my life was that I wasn't dancing. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, why don't I see if I can go dance? And I was, of course, since I'd been a trained professional dancer, I was pretty limited in my sense of what dancing actually was. But I did find a really fun jazz class at the community center in the town that I lived in. Um, great music, fun choreography, and the beauty of jazz dancing at that level is you don't even have to be in shape to do it. And since I wasn't in dancing shape, it was something I could just go do twice a week. I didn't have to worry about it, and um, I could just go enjoy it. I could just go love dancing, which I, having worried about, you know, having been a ballerina and worried about that professionally, dancing had lost a lot of its fun along the way. And so this was really fun. And I got to really just feel the spirit of dancing. And that boxed off, dark, non-flowing depression just burst and flew away. It was gone. I've never felt it since. But I've also understood that I can't not dance. And so I returned to dance and I followed that path. You know, one thing led to another and then you've heard the stories and it crashed me right into shamanism. Brought me right to my soul's purpose. Brought me right to the door. I didn't even know it. And then in my shamanic work, I actually use dance. It's a very deep part of my work, actually. And one of the unique parts is to, to take dance and work with it creatively as one of the transforming spirits that we have to work with in shamanism. Not just, okay, now we're going to trance dance or, okay, now we're going to do this traditional native whatever dance. But to actually make dance our tradition. And to use it as a transformative tool, as a way to understand what is going on deeply within ourselves and to let the soul move us without the mind being in the way. That this is the value, a great value of dance and a great uniqueness in my shamanic work. And so my point here is if you notice the through line in my life, I can look back and see my first mystical experience occurred while performing as a young teen. My first real fights with my family, even younger, about what I wanted for myself, apart from what they wanted for me, were about dance. I wanted to go to a dance class that was at our dinner hour, and my dad wanted me home at the table. But I'd been promoted, basically, to a higher level of class, and it happened at that dinner time. And I wanted to take it, and I fought for that. I'd never fought for something in that way yet in my family. Hours and hours and hours of my childhood when I was left to my own devices to entertain myself were spent dancing. And I have permanent divots in my shins from that coffee table, from those hours and hours and hours of dancing and smacking into that coffee table. There was never enough room, never enough room to dance. So if I think about this as an aspect of my true nature, I am one of those people that if it is completely silent, not a, not, a, not a beat in the air, but there's space, and I'm left to my own devices, I will dance. Why not? It's my nature. And so this is, this is how we can begin to see 
our true nature, because even not knowing about a true nature, understanding its importance or valuing it, it will surface in our life like a great whale, surfacing for that breath and then diving deep again. It doesn't go away. It's with you, whether you live it or not. And so you can look back through your life and see those things that allowed your life to move and to flow. Those moments that you were at your best or maybe your most ecstatic. Those things that you did when you were left to your own devices and no one else was around. These would be the things that are parts, perhaps, of your true nature. Especially if it's the same damn thing again and again. And for me, it was always dancing. So is dancing my soul's purpose? No. It is just an aspect of my true nature. Just like the peony that has to blossom. I just have to dance. Some people have to sing. You know, other people have to do math. I don't know. Everybody's got a true nature. The question is, look back through your life. What do you see? What is the through line? What is the thing that allows you to come together? So your nature, so nature itself cannot choose to deny its true nature. You know, like I denied dancing that year for logical, practical, grown-up reasons, right? And ended up in a, in a deep and strange depression, right? Nature can't do that. Nature can't choose to deny its true nature. Humans can, and they do. And perhaps, as I was saying, perhaps we always have. So what do we do about that? Right. Okay, so we always have. Is that an excuse to not bother? No. So what do we do about that? Human beings have been asking that question for forever, as far as I can tell. And William Horden, again, the author of the, um, the Toltec I Ching, in a recent blog on Huffington Post entitled The Tao of Enlightenment. And you can certainly go to HuffingtonPost.com and find this and read the whole thing. It's a nice, um, it's a nice blog post. But he talks about the Tao. And he says the Tao as the way may be best conceived of as the way of nature. Practitioners are encouraged to increase their sensitivity to the more subtle forces both within their environment and themselves. So he he cites the example of feng shui as a way to become more sensitive to the subtle forces within the outer environment. And tai chi, for example, as a way to become more sensitive to the subtle forces within your environment. He says, and then this recognition of the similarity of forces at work externally and internally provides instrumental, or proves instrumental in providing a firsthand experience of unity. So in other words, by recognizing the through, the, the through line, basically, that, that the same principles expand out in the environment and collapse down in or contract back in internally and that they are all the same. And so as these things, um, as, as the practitioner recognizes the similarity of these things, you begin to have that firsthand experience of the unity of all things. And so this, this practice particularly shows up in Taoistic appreciation of naturalness. This is William is still, this is from William's blog still. So when turned outward, this appreciation produced some of the most sublime art and poetry based on spontaneous identification with the places and seasons of nature. So this is this, so he's talking about the appreciation of naturalness, of nature in and of itself. 
and turning that focus outward. He says, and then when turned inward, the naturalness was used to make practitioners aware of their own original nature that exists prior to any familial or cultural conditioning. This inward training forms the basis of Taoist mind-body-spirit exercises aimed at returning the practitioner to the natural state of enlightenment. And William goes on to talk about many points in this, but the main one being that from a Taoistic perspective, and I would say a shamanic perspective, enlightenment in and of itself is not the end game. It's not an end state. That it is a natural state from which we then re-engage life. And so, William continues, the practices offer a stilling of the conditioned mind, conditioned by all that outer information, so that the original mind may be fully experienced. It is not just our habit thoughts that need to be stilled, but even our own imaginings of what the enlightened state is. The original mind is an awareness that exists before language. Now we see that the early Taoists concentrated on experiencing the all-at-once kind of spatial awareness that exists prior to the linear thinking in words, time-bound consciousness of daily life. So these Taoist practices, as, as the one sort of organized spiritual practices in, a, in addition to shamanism, basically, is not asking us to look up for answers or at people for answers, or even at a set of gods for answers, but just to look to nature, to look to the earth, to look to this great teacher and let all the conditioning fall away and to allow your own innate natural self, that true nature, to emerge. So why is that important? for us today as contemporary people, since there are many people that could be listening to this show that might not even be able to see nature from wherever it is they're sitting at their computer listening. Why is that important for us? Because just as that tiny little story about the year I didn't dance leading to my depression, when we deny our true nature, we ask for illness and disease and discomfort to come and take up residency in our body and in our life. When by that very denial of what is our deeper truth, our deeper nature, we are asking for hardship. We are asking for the hardest way possible to do what it is that we are trying to do. That just as organizing around our soul's purpose, our reason for being here, is the core of our well-being. Surrendering to our true nature is another aspect of this core of our well-being from a shamanic perspective. It is by trying to be something other than what we are. Now understand that very precisely. I don't mean by someone born into a lower class trying to be something other than what they're born to be, because that's all about cultural programming. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that by denying our true nature and by trying to be something other than what we are in our deepest original state, 
we are asking to be unwell. We are asking for disease to come and take a place, a nice warm human space and to feed off our energy and to grow in that gap between who I truly am and who I'm trying to pretend that I am or between who I truly am and in that denial of that deeper truth. And this is why it was so critical in shamanic cultures, pre-contact shamanic cultures, to embrace the diversity of people's expressions of who they were. That there was not a rigid assumption that because someone was born in a certain gender, they would have certain gender specific gender roles then in the culture. They would love specific people and do specific things. That there were certainly gender roles and there were certainly um, things that need to happen to bring children into the village. And there were certainly understandings about what needed to happen for human beings to survive as part of the ecosystem they were in. I mean, these people aren't stupid. They're very practical. But beyond that, there is that understanding that you don't try to plant a dream without communicating first to the earth about that dream. There's the understanding that you don't try to manifest yourself in the world in a way that is contrary to your true nature. And there's also the understanding that if you are here to blossom, which you are, don't try not to. If you are here to go tall and to blossom in the magnificence of your soul's purpose, do not run the other way. Because in the denial, in the running the other way, in all that we do to deny our true nature, we invite in illness and disharmony. We invite, it is a violence we do to ourself. It is an original act of violence. And in doing that to ourselves, we are then better able to do it to someone else or to something else. And the next thing you know, we're at war again. And so it is important to understand this thing we don't hardly understand as contemporary people, this, this idea that is more than an idea, that is the essence, this sense of true nature. And this is what I believe is the greatest teaching of earth and true nature. Yeah, we can talk about medicine wheels and cosmologies and all of that stuff about how do we live as a human being. But if we are doing all of that, you know, if we are even doing our shamanic practice in a way that is contrary to our true nature, then it is folly. That whatever we do must be rooted in the energy, that original energy of our true nature. And then that energy is the taproot that we put down that allows us then to express all that we are going to create and to blossom and to manifest in our lives. So what do we do with all of this? In the teachings that I've received from Spirit, we work with the dynamic that is found in contemporary people because that's who we are. You know, we're not trying to be something else. We are contemporary people. And as contemporary people, we are largely not initiated from childhood to adulthood. And so that false self, that self that has been created 
um, is alive and well and strong. And so what we're looking at in these teachings is how do we dismantle the false self and allow the rebirth and resurgence of the true self or the true nature. And so the way we can think about this from the teachings is that that true self is rooted in our true nature. You know, I am more than the dancing, but the dancing is part of my true nature. And so the false self is really pretty fascinating, and it's really an amazing um, act of creation. The false self is more than the ego or the personality that we identify with. It is an entire person and life constructed in a way to make certain that you fit in, get along with people, survive physically, and do nothing that scares you. Angelus Arian in The Fourfold Way says that we feed the false self by editing our thoughts, rehearsing our emotions, performing what we think people want to see, or hiding our true selves. We feed the false self system whenever we are unwilling to tell the truth, say what is so, or give voice to what we see. So, in essence, the false self denies the true self because the false self has got the line on how to survive in the world. But the false self is also based on the denial of nature, on the denial of true nature. In other words, the false self is, is invested in existing in a culture that denies nature. And so by the very setup, then the false self must deny its own nature. Or in other words, your false self denies your true nature. So the false self denies the true self, which if allowed to flow, will take us into nature and the Tao. So the true nature, if allowed to flow, will take us into nature, into the Tao, and to much of what works, um, but that we often find so elusive in our contemporary life. So surrender then to our true nature will take us where we need to go, ultimately. And this whole dynamic here between the false self and the true self and the true nature and your own true self, why you are here, all of this is really at the core of the four-year training that I do. Um, the, and it is in the fourth year, actually, that students commit quite literally to transformation through surrender to my true self. And in that, they commit uh, to use their skills, to empower their true self, to motivate their actions, that they take action to notice and clear the alternative motivating forces of ego, which we work with in year one, fear, which we work with in year two, and perceived needs or stories, all those ways you've been told to be, which we work with in year three, or the unresolved issues of their ancestors, which we work with in year four. So what do you do if you aren't called to these trainings? If moving this deeply into shamanic skills and living from a shamanic point of view is not for you, what do you do? Do what I described earlier in the show. Look back at your life. Look for the through lines. Find what was for you in your life, what dance was for me in mine. Look back over your life. What was always there for you? Now, there will be helping spirits that were there for you. You know, for me as a child, it was a great big stuffed animal that evolved into the actual spirit of that animal. So, your power animals, your helping spirits will be there for you. Nature's always there for you. It's always teaching you, regardless. So, when, when in the past, as you look back over your life, was it just you? That was when your true nature was flowing. When you 
your nature, your true nature was the thing that moved you out of that suffocation or stagnation or disharmony or pain that you were in. Sometimes it's your true nature that gets you out of a relationship or a job. You have no explanation why you can't be there. You just can't and you just have to leave. Sometimes that was your true nature. So you can begin a practice of noticing nature and your own true nature everywhere. See every environment as an environment. See the elements in the environment. Seek spirit in the environment. I mean this quite literally. Don't play into the advertising and the expectations and what they mean. Every space you're in is your environment. Even if it's not a natural environment, it's still the nature that you are in. Why can't you view the flow of traffic the same way we view weather? Why can't you view what is in the store windows as I would view the flowers blooming here in spring? Any environment is just another environment and we can treat it as such. We can see the elements in the environment. Seek to see the spirit of the environment itself. Let the place be what it is. You don't need to give it a story from humans. Just let it be what it is. And in that, let yourself be who you are. And in that, letting go, in that allowing all that was pre-programmed to fall away and just letting everything be what it is without expectations or definitions or the manipulations through advertising. Allow your own true nature to emerge. Earth and life and the way, they are all priceless teachers and they are all here in your life every day to help you to find that deep heartfelt resonance of your own true nature. Do not deny it. Let it blossom. Thank you all for listening here today. Next week, our topic is going to be why you need ancestral healing. We've talked about ancestral healing, but we're going to talk about it in a more intimate way. We will explore what the unresolved energies of the ancestors actually are and how they affect us. Um, And in part, we are doing this in the context of our contemporary life. If we ever want anything different, different solutions, we are going to have to deal with these ancestors. Um, So we'll also talk about what we need to be doing as well as what we can start doing right now. So that's next week. I hope you all will join me. I like to give thanks to the spirits for joining us here today. Thanks to the ancestors for gathering around. Thanks for the earth below. And thanks for the earth's patient, constant, exquisite teaching. That she is always present here if we can simply quiet down and look to see how to be here in a good way. We give thanks to the sky above and thanks to the heart that unites us all. For those of you who haven't found it, um, 
know that all of the shows um, from the very beginning in 2009 are at whyshamanismnow.com on the website. They're all archived there for you to download. You can download all the co-creator sites at the co-creator shows at the co-creator site. And everything is also available on iTunes. And for those of you that have been moved by this show in any way, I encourage you to go to whyshamanismnow.com and make a donation and help us to keep the show on the air. Thank you, everyone, for listening.